0: All right. Well, this is it. You're finally here. We finally made it to the end. Um, This is the day that we're going to land the plane. All right. This is part eight of our eight-part series that's been called Base Camp. And if you're new to this and you haven't been around, you haven't uh, been able to follow along with what's going on, don't worry. You can still follow up. You can still catch up. You can still listen up. The whole thing has uh, been uploaded to our podcast, which you can get through the blog, through the blog, not through, through the app, through the app, or it's available online as well at our website. Go under media, search uh, podcast, or go to iTunes, and you can search into one there. So you can grab it, and you can follow up um, that way. Because, because of where we are in the series right now, here's a special opportunity that you would never have had before today. You can also set yourself up to be truly part of our culture. I didn't think about this until now, but you know what you can do? You can binge listen. Huh? You can start at the beginning, and you can go through seven whole parts, and a little later on, you can do eight parts, and you can get the popcorn out, and you can just tear along the whole way, the base camp marathon, maybe wait for a rainier day, but you can do that from beginning to end, and you can go back over this sort of stuff. For those of you who haven't been around, or for those of you who have, here's a super fast summary on what we've been doing over these last weeks. Most of us have been handed something along the lines And then we've been told to uh, believe that, okay? That's what you were told. And, And at some point we said, no, okay. And it was based on, mostly on who told you that you were supposed to believe that. And so we listened because they told us to. But as we grew up, we found that the believe that stuff, I don't know what to do with it, with the stuff that I'm actually living in. If that, then how is this? And we found that there was a disconnection there. And we felt like there was a gap that we couldn't explain. And we're going, I don't know what to do. And so what most of us did is we said, I'm not going to reject it. I'm just not ever going to think about it again. Right? And that's sort of, and we went on and we moved along. And then at another point, we thought, well, I want to I do something more. I want to connect again. And so what we've been trying to do in this series is to take that whole package and, and, and pretend because that's all we can do. We can pretend that we can actually wipe your your slate clean, and we can go back to the beginning, and we can try to rebuild this faith system and rebuild it piece by piece so that we can move forward together on this road trip. So what we've been saying is, let's build a base camp for us. Let's build a base camp for our friends, for our family that are interested in pursuing faith. So here is the full Base Camp series highlight reel. This is what we've been talking about just in case you've missed it. The number one question that you need to answer, we came to this at the beginning, we came to it last week, the first and most important question that everything else hangs on, who is Jesus? That's the beginning, okay? That, that's the thing that, that starts the whole question, and if you don't get that one right, everything else kind of falls out. So this frames you in on the essentials, all right? Before you deal with the, what about those animals in that boat? Or what about dragons and dinosaurs? And why do we have naked people in a garden? What was that all about? Before you deal with any of those other questions, deal with this central one. Who is Jesus? The week after that, we went to mistakers versus sinners. We all say that we make mistakes. We're quite comfortable saying we make mistakes. But sometimes those issues are really much, much deeper than simply mistakes. Week three, we talked about gaining God's approval. That's where we deal with trying to figure out what we have to do to get God to like us. What do we have to do to make God do what we want? Or or if, if we can't get him to do what we want, how do we make sure that he just won't smite us? Does he love you? Could he love you? Week four. We talked about the role of rules, and we tried to figure out, um, is it like a family where you you enter the family, and then after you're in the family, they give you the rules? Or is it more like you're you're joining a club, and you get the rules up front, and if you follow the rules and you keep the rules, you can stay in the club, but if you don't follow the rules, you're out. Week five, we talked about uh, the question, what can wash away my sin? We all know how to say I'm sorry and move forward. But what do you do about the past? Specifically, what do you do to forgive yourself? Week six, we talked about grace. This is a big, big deal, especially if you are tied up in in believing that you need to earn, that you need to pay for the stuff that you can't possibly afford to pay for. Amazing, amazing grace. Um, Then last week, week seven, It was, I can't sing it again, it was don't stop (laughs) believing, all right? That went well, right? Uh, We kind of tore down all religions, and we discredited the system that goes behind them. We said that if if enough people believe, and and enough people believe of enough of the same things, then, well, there you go. Um, Seeing is believing, and believing is seeing. You can start to see whatever it is that you want to see. So all religions are basically people agreeing and choosing to agree on some things and then going out of their way to look for things that reinforce that and rejecting things that argue against it. So we, uh, we had a little bit of an implosion there. We collapsed the whole thing and we're asking, you know, honestly, if that's true of religion, how is Christianity different than all that in that regard? And you'd have to go and listen to last week to find that out. Uh, that's where we've come so far. That's been our path in a quick summary. So this is just a sneak peek for you, okay? If you enjoyed last week or you found that it was helpful on some level and you wish, oh man, I wish so-and-so could have been here to hear that, well, they can. (laughs) They can listen to it on the podcast. But here's the next thought, all right? We know that more people are willing to come to church on Easter. Some of the same thoughts that we talked about last week and this week, we're going to talk about again on Easter, I'm going to spoil a surprise for you, all right? Next week, we're going to talk about the resurrection, all right? You know it's coming, all right? So you know what we're going to do. Um, so now that you know a little bit of what's under the hood, and after today, you'll know a little bit more about what we're going to do, maybe you'll be more able to have a follow-up conversation with somebody else. And, and, and maybe because they're more willing to come at Easter season because it's just the thing to do, maybe you can get them to come and you'll be able to have a follow-up conversation with them and then we can work together as a team. We can work together as a team to bring more people into this story to try and share good news, to try and bring hope, to try and bring freedom to those people that you care about, that you love about. So let's consciously be thinking how we can work together as a team to do that. That is the point. That's what we're trying to do. So next week, we're going to look at Easter, history's mystery. That's what we're going to do. Um, So you have that advanced sense, and we're going to try and welcome some more people into this environment where we believe that faith is growing and God is at work. Today, we finish up base camp, and I hope you have learned something along the way. I hope that you have been encouraged along the way, um, that you have been able to, to find a point for faith and that it might actually grow. Uh, We've been trying to gently, you know, fan that flame to burn more brightly. We've been trying to light the base camp campfire. You might want to think of it like that. One last week, one more thing to tell you about. One more item to consider if you are considering Christianity. If you've already embraced Christianity, then you really need to know and understand this. This is part of your story, whether you've heard, about, heard this story or not. So, as you are considering Jesus and who he is, here's something that happened, and you need to know that it actually happened. Because that happening, that event, continues to happen. And so it is fundamental to our faith. So, when you look at it and you ask, honestly, how else would you explain this fact than to say that Jesus is still alive? Honestly, how else can you explain this if Jesus is not still at work today in people's lives? If he's not still at work in the world today? So, here's what happened when Jesus was alive, there was a guy that he hung out with, and his name was Matthew. Matthew was an ex tax collector. Boo. Uh, And then he became a Jesus follower. Yay. And he tells us this story, okay? So once when Jesus was out out with his guys, his apostles, his apprentices, they were about 240 kilometers north of Jerusalem, okay? So imagine that in your head. And out there, it gets so hot, and it it gets so cold. Ironic that you, you get both. And it's rough geography. It's not just a long distance. It's a long, hard distance to go. And these guys had been walking, again, probably about 240 kilometers. they have been walking away from Jerusalem. They are outside now the city of Caesarea Philippi. And you can still visit it, all right? Here it is, Caesarea Philippi. Not a lot to do there. It used to be a thriving city. Uh, And when Jesus and his apostles were outside Caesarea Philippi, it was a magnificent city. And about the time that Jesus would have been getting his learner's permit, his G1, so probably about 14 or 15 AD, the city was actually renamed to be Caesarea Philippi because that was the year that Caesar Augustus died. They renamed the city after Caesar Augustus. So these guys are walking up to this city, and maybe, maybe they're talking about that story. Maybe they're remembering all that kind of stuff. We don't know exactly what they're talking about, but just imagine, you say, hey, do you, remember, do you remember a few years ago that they renamed this city? And, and, and Augustus, he was the first real Roman emperor. That means also that in recent hist- there had been a recent history shift, um, The big shift that had come to the people in this world was that Rome officially became an empire and was no longer a republic. This story, if it sounds familiar, it's because they based it all on Star Wars. That's where the Roman Empire got their ideas from. Um, Perhaps they were talking about the fact that Caesar Augustus was actually the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Now, the empire had been busy since Julius had died. They had gone and they had deified Julius. So he was now the deified Julius Caesar, which meant that Caesar Augustus, the adopted son of Julius Caesar, was actually now the son of a god. That comes up throughout first century Christianity and the stories that were there. But that was part of the naming and titling that was going on. So they would say, oh look, over yonder... There is the son of the deified Julius, Augustus, who was now also known as Caesar. So maybe they're walking up the hill and maybe they're talking about that. And, and I needed to try and do that because I was setting you up like they do in a movie to tell you the story that all the people who were walking there would have already known, right? They already know this stuff, but you didn't. So we had to find a way to tell you that sort of stuff. So just imagine they all said it. Um, so as they're doing that, Jesus breaks in and he asks this very famous question. Okay, guys, we know who Caesar Augustus was. He's the adopted son of the deified Julius Caesar. But who do you say I am? So there's a little conversation that goes on between the, uh, the, the disciples, the apostles, and Jesus. And uh, each one of them kind of comes up with their story of who somebody else says Jesus is. Well, th- some people say you're this, and some people say you're that. Um, then towards the end of the conversation, Peter Peter comes in, beautiful Peter, and he kind of just blurts it out. Oh, I'll tell you who I think you are. And that's because the way, the way that he always was. He said, I, I'll tell you who I think you are. You're, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of the deified Julius, who is now a dead God. But you, you, Jesus, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus stops. Well, Hold on for a moment. He says, bingo. You nailed it. But there's more to it than just that. Peter, you're perceptive, but you're not that perceptive, okay? God, my Father, gave you that answer to that question. And then he goes on and he says something that's astounding. And maybe if you've grown grown up in church, maybe you've heard this before. Jesus, at that point, makes a prediction. And And I can't overemphasize how significant it is. And you've probably read over it and you don't even hear it like a prediction. It's just a line. It's just part of the script. It just goes on. But he goes on and he says, and on this rock, I will build my church. Have you heard that line before? put a star on that one, okay? Because Catholics and Protestants, we get a little bit, uh, we get a little bit uh, mixed up about how we think about this, and the Catholics, they, they're in the, they look at this and they say, what that passage is saying is that the rock is Peter, because Peter asked the question, and because Peter is a name and it's derived from the word Petra, and Petra means rock. Who is the rock? Well, Peter is the rock. On this rock, I'll build my church. And that's where they um, follow along to the idea of saying, and this is where the idea of the Pope comes from. So Protestants say, no, it, 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 the rock isn't Peter. The rock is the declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. <laughs> so, but stay focused because that discussion, while it's significant in other times, just distracts us from what that conversation was really about. Telling us. It's not really about the rock or who was the rock or what is the rock. The big deal is that Jesus just made an incredibly bold claim, an incredibly significant prediction. Jesus said, I am going to build my church. Okay? You probably don't think of it this much because if you've heard it, you've heard it again and again. And we get into habits of thinking that things are just like us. But Jesus didn't speak English, all right? Jesus didn't even speak King James English. Jesus spoke Aramaic. The New Testament, when they wrote it, was written in Greek. And it was written in Greek because Greek was the most dominant language of the day. It was the most dominant, the most far-reaching, the most well-known. So you put this stuff in Greek so the most people in the most places can read it. So when Matthew, who later on becomes Saint Matthew sits down and he starts typing up this conversation. He stops for a moment and he has to think, "Okay, I'm remembering it in Aramaic, but I've got to put it in Greek." And he thought about that Aramaic word that Jesus said when he said, "I'm going to build my church." And then he wrote down a Greek word, and that word was ekklesia. And it's a very common Greek term. It was in no way a religious term. It meant gathering, assembly, congregation. So Jesus made a declaration. Okay, guys, I'm going to build my gathering. So stop. Stop for a moment, okay? We're going to do a bunch of imagination today. Imagine that you're back here. You're in this geography, 240 kilometers north of the big city, um, very close to the middle of nowhere. That's where you've, you've come. Um, and, and you're heading towards Caesarea Philippi, and there are 13 of them. Okay, there's 13, including Jesus, and Judas is there too to kind of balance things out. So Jesus says, guys, I'm going to build my gathering, my congregation, my assembly, my people, and of course, they must have kind of just looked around at each other and thought, well, uh, good, uh, because we need to do some growing because there's no one else here. There's 13 of us. G- Jesus, you remember that we're, right now we're pretty much outlaws. Jesus, do you remember that there's a really good reason why we're not in Jerusalem right now? There's a clear reason why we're afraid to go back to Jerusalem. And then, we have to be honest about what happened. There was a tragedy of translation. And I'm no brilliant scholar, so please don't think that I am. But most brilliant scholars will tell you that next occurs a tragedy of translation. And as time went by, the writings of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, they're all translated into different languages from the Greek, okay? Unfortunately, the little word, ecclesia, wasn't translated. Actually, a German word was superimposed in our text. And it's the word from which we get the word church. Even saying church kind of makes you think of German. The German word is Kirch. Now, I probably didn't say it right, because I'm not German, but that's the word, Kirch. The word is not a translation of the word Ecclesia. The word church is superimposed over Ecclesia. The word Kirch doesn't mean gathering, assembly, or congregation. It actually means house of the Lord, and it is a religious term. So unfortunately, in this tragedy of translation, instead of this idea of a gathering, an assembly, or a people of Jesus, instead we got this word church that translates as a place, a house of the Lord. Why am I making such a big deal about one word? Well, Jesus did not predict a place. Jesus predicted a people. And Matthew knew that because Matthew was there. And when he sat down to write out his gospel, he chose the word "ecclesia," which was not a religious term. Now, we jump ahead in time a little bit to the 16th century. and there's a guy named William Tyndale. Have you heard of him? He's kind of a famous guy. He decided to translate the New Testament from Greek into English. Ah, oh, unheard of. Uh, he was the first person to translate the entire New Testament from Greek. Into English. But when he got to the word ecclesia, he was stunned. He thought, this is groundbreaking. This is paradigm shifting. This idea in the New Testament, it, it, it doesn't reflect that same word. This word that they use, this German word kirch, it's not the same thing. So in his translation, the first translation of the New Testament into English, he translated the word ecclesia as "congregation." He said, Jesus said, on this rock, I'm going to build my congregation of people. So those in charge of the church at that time eventually arrested William Tyndale as a heretic for his translation of the New Testament because it didn't match the Latin translation. They arrested him for that and for, you know, other things as well. They wanted the Bible to stay in only Latin, that Latin was the language that they would use and it would be under the control of the priesthood and not available to the common laity. They could not have any access. So the church loved Tyndale's work so much that they decided that they needed to fix him. So they strangled him and burned him at the stake, just to make doubly sure. Strangled him and burned him at the stake. But his translation is correct. So after Jesus makes this incredible prediction, I'm going to build my people. They went back to, they keep going on to Caesarea Philippi. Okay? They travel around up there for a while, and eventually they go back to Jerusalem. And the disciples are like, oh, don't go, don't go, don't go. And Jesus says, I'm going anyways. So Jesus enters on Palm Sunday, which just happens to be today. And he enters Jerusalem under much pomp and circumstance. And then very shortly after his arrival, he is arrested. He is imprisoned. He is beaten. He is executed and he is crucified under much pomp and circumstance, the whole thing within one week. And after the crucifixion, as we mentioned last week, if you went to the apostles, like Peter, and you said, hey, remember what you said, Peter? Buddy, who do you think Jesus is now? Do you still believe that he's the Messiah, the son of the living God? And Peter would have said, no, we were wrong. He's dead. He's gone. It's all over. And then, like we said last week, something changed, right? Because these very same men that watched him die, they ran for their lives when they watched Jesus getting arrested. These very same men, surrounded now with a group of women as well, these Jesus followers, they suddenly come back to life. And they say, hey, we're back because we have seen a risen Savior, And after Jesus came back to life, after he rose again from the dead, he gathered his handful of followers. We don't know how many people exactly are there, but the number that people usually say is about 120. So he he says these very famous words, and they're tied into his prediction in this one day about his Jesus gathering. And this, now we jump to Matthew 28 for this. This is after his resurrection. He's got the 120. They're standing on a hill. and, And then he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Now, we read the Bible, right? So we just keep going. just keep going. But think about what just happened there. And I don't want to be sacrilegious, you know, because we're in church, and I'm actually the preacher, and I'm not supposed to be sacrilegious. But visualize what's going on here. There's 120 people standing on the side of a hill after the resurrection. And Jesus kind of goes, okay, may I have your attention, please? Um, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Can you think of a more arrogant statement than that? Either it's an extraordinarily arrogant statement, or it's true. And perhaps the only reason that the audience was there, that they didn't get so offended that they all stood up and walked off because of the ludicrous claim, was because they were standing there, listening to a man, looking at a man who had just been crucified, who had just been dead, who had just been buried. And he told them before that, that it was all going to happen. So after that, well, you kind of believe what this guy says. He's got incredible credibility. We've we've never seen anybody do that before. And so then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, all right, in light of the fact that all authority in heaven and earth has just been given to me, in light of the fact that I can do anything and I can ask you to do anything, here's where I want to channel all of that authority. Here's how I want you to channel all of that energy. Here's what I'm going to do with all of the authority that has been given to me. That's got to have them at the edge of their seats, even if they weren't sitting. They're still on the edge of their seat. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Here's what I want you to do. And I have the authority to ask you to do this. And I know that it's hot and it's dusty. And you're fugitives from the law. These people had no influence. They had no connections. They had no base. They have no resources. They have no money. They have no organization. And Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into all the nations of the world. Yeah, I see that hand. What's a nation? I want you to go to all ethnic groups. I want you to all the people groups in the whole world. Yep, okay, another hand up over here. Uh, How how are we going to get there? Hold on, hold on, okay, just let me finish. I want you to go into all the nations of the world and I want you to make Jesus followers of all the people from all the nations in the world. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then he left. I'm with you always. Where'd he go? He left. I'm with you always as you go into the world making disciples of all people groups, and then he left. And and then they go go back to Jerusalem. And and a few days later, you can read this whole thing. It's it's, um, in the first couple of chapters of the book of Acts. The group of people who watched Jesus die, the group of people who lost all hope, but they had seen a resurrected Savior. They were all dramatically refocused and reengaged, re-energized. Those are the same people who heard Jesus say, go into all the nations. And they went out into the streets of Jerusalem fearing death, and they went with their simple message. We talked about it last week, simple four-point message, right? You killed him, God raised him, we've seen him, say you're sorry. And suddenly, the Jesus gathering was born. Suddenly, the movement started moving. Suddenly, hundreds and and, and then thousands of people, not halfway around the world, and not hundreds of years later, thousands of people within the city of Jerusalem where these events took place began to say, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He has done something significant within our midst. And the church began to grow and grow and grow. And the Ecclesia, the church, was born. And this part's important, okay? Think about this and reflect on this. It did not grow around effective truth claims. Every religion gets its start with truth claims. These Jesus gatherings began around an event, the resurrection of Jesus. And for about two years, things went really, really well. In two years, Peter and Andrew in particular, they went north to some cities and they went out to the coast, they went south, about about 160 kilometers north and about 130 kilometers south to the coast, to the east, to the west. These disciples went all over the place. They were all going and doing. And a number of them began to really circulate around and they, they went out through that whole region that we would call modern day Israel and then it was known more as Palestine and they were traveling all around their world. For about two years, everything went really well, and then something horrible happened. The movement stopped moving. The gathering stopped growing. Persecution broke out, and some of the Christians were scattered, scattered just to escape this persecution. And suddenly, the Jesus movement began to bog down. And then something happened, okay? Something that's not recorded for us in Scripture. So if you're new to church, this is not in the Bible, okay? This part, I'm about to tell you, is not in the Bible. Something happened, and here's my version of what happened. It happens all off camera. But apparently there's a conversation somewhere in heaven that went something like this. God the Father calls Jesus. He says, Jesus, son, come over here. I need to show you something. And he points down to earth, and he says, look. The movement's not moving. The gathering's not growing. There are so many people that I love that are not hearing about what we have done for them. We have a problem. And Jesus looks down and he goes, you're right. And God the Father says to Jesus, I think, I think those fellows you chose, well, they're nice guys. and It's a very diverse group. You've got fishermen, you have a tax collector, but they're unclear, I guess. They're They're comfortable. You said go into all nations, and I think that they might have heard you say neighborhoods, because they're all staying in the neighborhood. They're not really going anywhere. They seem to be content to kind of be rock stars in the climate and the culture where you did all these things. And I think perhaps that you need to go and find somebody else to help out. I think you need to go and find a leader. I think you need to go and find somebody who's not afraid to get on a boat and go somewhere. I think you need to find somebody who's maybe a little bit better educated, who can speak several different languages. Maybe find someone who's a religious leader so they'll take him seriously. I think you need to find someone who can speak to both Jews and Gentiles. I think you should find someone who's a Roman citizen so that they can move throughout the Roman Empire easily. In fact, Jesus, let's make this a little bit fun. Why don't you go and find yourself a Pharisee and see if he'd be interested in the job? Recruit one of those guys because these guys, they're not getting the job done. Oh, hey, 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 look over here. Look at this guy right here. And Jesus said, what, are you serious? Saul of Tarsus? Oh, yeah, look at him go, right? And Jesus said, yeah, but he's kind of dismantling like everything I did, the whole thing, he's undoing it. Take a look. He's actually arresting my followers. He's persecuting my ecclesia. Yeah, he's on a tear. He's a one-man wrecking machine. He's undoing everything I set up. And then God the Father says, no, he's awesome. I think you should go down and recruit him. That's a way better story. Right? So Jesus says, all right, fine, I'm going. That, That might have been more of my family. (laughs) That's my version, okay? And I can assure you, if you're itching in your seat, right, that is not theologically correct, all right? It didn't happen like that. They don't talk like that. It's not the way it was. And I probably took a little too much artistic license there. And it looks like my family more than that family. But Acts chapter 9, go there. That's where this is happening. Here's what I want you to do if you're considering Christianity if you're considering coming back to those those Christian roots, if you're considering taking this Jesus stuff more seriously, get out your Bible, get to the New Testament, flip through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, get to the book of Acts, go to chapter nine. That's where you're gonna find this story. That's the story of the conversion of the Apostle Paul. He walks onto history as Saul of Tarsus, but his name got changed when his life got changed. Saul of Tarsus is a really big problem for skeptics. Saul of Tarsus is a big problem for all those people who say, ah, you can't trust the New Testament. It's all just made up by a bunch of Jesus cheerleaders. But Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, is a problem because he wrote letters that comprise about a third of the New Testament. And he wrote them in the 50s, not in the uh, 150s or 100 years later. Within 20 or 30 years of Jesus' life, Paul was writing his letters. Paul is documented for us. His life is chronicled for us in the book of Acts. And his letters are written, and he knew Peter, and he knew John, and he knew James, the brother of Jesus, and he was super tight with another key guy whose name is Barnabas. And there's a great story about how he went to Jerusalem after he became the apostle Paul, and he decided that he wanted to reach Gentiles and not just Jews. And he went to Jerusalem, and he gathered all the people up, all the leaders that are there. And uh, uh, you remember those guys were having a bit of a problem remembering um, Jesus called them to go to all nations. And he says, look, the movement's not moving. The gathering's got to grow. This isn't a message for just Jewish people. This isn't a message for just Middle Eastern people. This is a message for the whole world. God has done something in our midst, and the world is supposed to know. To which the rest of them, Peter, James, John, Andrew, they all go, you're right. So Paul says, we need a strategy. And so they pull up Google Earth, and he projects it on the wall. And and I'm making that part up too. Um, All right, this is the Roman world right here. And he draws a circle around Jerusalem and he goes, okay, you guys, you take this. You take Jerusalem. I'll take everything else. And that's what he did. He got on a ship and he went all the way around the Mediterranean. He hit all the major port cities, anywhere there were synagogues, anywhere there was converts from Judaism, from the Romans, or from the Greeks. And he spent 30 years, 30 years of his life, the apostle Paul traveled and he was arrested and beaten and imprisoned and shipwrecked and he was stoned, not quite to death. He kept traveling and he started churches here and there and he started churches over there and over here and he was thrown out, he was chased out of cities. 30 years of his life, he traveled, planting little ecclesias all around the port cities in the Roman world and everywhere he would go, he didn't tell them the Sermon on the Mount. He didn't preach the parables. He preached that God has done something in our midst. Jesus has been raised from the dead and there's proof of it. You remember that's how we began base camp. We found Paul in the city of Athens on one of those trips in his 30-year time there. Everywhere he went, he shared that God has done something in our midst. And for 30 years, he planted little Jesus gatherings over the known world. And then in his 60s, he's arrested. Arrested one more time and taken to Rome. He was imprisoned in Rome twice. The first time they let him out, it's a really pretty interesting story. Good story. You should really read your Bible. You can find out that story and you can learn about a bunch of good stuff from that. But the second time he was in prison in Rome, Nero was the emperor and no doubt the apostle Paul knew that this was the end. He'd been warned. Don't let them take you to Rome. Appeal, appeal, appeal. He allowed them to take him to Rome. He was imprisoned in Rome. Now imagine, again, just slow down for a moment here. This is a world that we can't relate to, okay? It's ancient. Uh, nothing for us there is normal. Um, there, there's no possibility of any further appeal. Um, this was a world that was dictated almost entirely by the words of Emperor Nero. In a world where, where Christians, were government-sanctioned fair game, torture, abuse, property damage, theft, were, we're totally fine, especially to non-Jewish Christians. The Apostle Paul's in prison, and perhaps he wondered Did it work? Will they do to the rest of the church, to the rest of the Christians, what they did to Jesus, and now what they're going to do with me? Was it all just a pipe dream? Were we insane? to think that this Jesus gathering, this movement of little ecclesias could possibly survive the fury and the disdain of the entire Roman Empire. In in, in this world, they're committed to worshiping Jupiter in some parts and Zeus in others. In, In this world, they worship Mars, the god of war, and they look up to him. Were we out of our minds to think that this Jesus thing that happened way out of the way in Jerusalem, it feels so far away right now? Did we actually believe that it could grow out of that place so far away and that it would make a difference over here? Were we just delusional enough to believe that when Jesus said, um, go to all nations, that that it would actually work? And there he sat in a Roman prison, just days away from being executed, wondering, in his mid-60s. And and, and then one day, probably before the sun came up, he heard guards coming down the stairs, coming down those stone steps. And they, they opened his cell and they marched him out, and that would be the morning, the last morning on earth for Paul. I want you to imagine that we are able to go with Paul And we're able to walk with him on the way to his execution, which is going to be just outside the city. And if we could whisper in his ear, Paul, don't be discouraged. It worked. Paul, look around the city. And they marched him through the Roman Forum. Here it is. Not much to look at today, not very fun to visit today. But this is where he was imprisoned. This is where the streets are that he walked on to get out of that city on his way to be executed. And imagine if we walked with him and said, Paul, fear not. We're from the future. Look around. One day this city that you're in right now, this city that's decorated with icons and idols and temples to pagan gods, not that long from now, this same city will be adorned with icons crucifixes, and churches testifying to Jesus, your Savior. And on the top of the buildings that you see all over this city, there's going to be crosses, and they won't point to Roman crucifixion. They're going to point to one crucifixion. All those crosses point to the crucifixion of our Savior, Jesus. Paul, look over there. Do you see that? That's Nero's circus. Nero's circus is where Nero persecuted and executed Christians. He allowed allowed wild animals to tear Christians apart. That's where he fed Christians to lions. That's where they crucified Christians. That's where eventually they crucified the apostle Peter upside down. It was this place that they would use to impale Christians on stakes, to put tar in their hair and to light them on fire. This is the place that that Emperor Nero would, would get his party decorations so that he would hang these people around the gardens and they would light up the garden party and he could do whatever he wanted because he was Emperor Nero. Whatever he wanted was law. Look, Paul, right beside Nero's circus. One day, one day, you know what they're going to put there? A magnificent building. And that building... That building will be built to commemorate your friend Peter. They're going to call him Saint Peter. And it will be the most beautiful building on the outside and on the inside. Paul, someday, thousands and thousands will come to this place from all over the world and they won't ask, where is Jesus Caesar, Julius Caesar buried? And they won't say, can you show me Tiberius's palace? They won't ask to see the tomb of Caesar Augustus. They're going to come from all over the world, and the world is a lot bigger than you know right now. They're going to come from all over the world, and they're going to ask their tour guides, can you please take me? Show me. Show me where the apostle Paul was imprisoned. Paul, I know this is super hard to imagine, But one day there will be no Roman Empire. There will be churches in every major city in almost every country in the world. Paul, those letters that you wrote, all those things that you wrote, all those things that you handed to friends and you hoped that they made it to Ephesus or you hoped that they made it to Thessalonica and you hoped that they made it to the Christians in Rome. You hoped that your teachings and your words would be read. Paul, one day... One day what you wrote will be translated into over 1,200 different languages and distributed all over the world. Paul, you need to know that one day there will be a time when families all over the world in many different countries are going to mention Caesar Augustus, but it won't be because they are retelling his story. That first great emperor of Rome, Caesar Augustus, his name will simply be a footnote in the story of the birth of your savior, Jesus. Paul, before you go, you need to know, one day parents will name their children Peter and Paul, and they'll name their dogs, Nero and Caesar. Could Paul have imagined that? Could he, imagine, could he have imagined any of the things that we just walked him through? Could he have imagined you? Could he have imagined into one community church in Stouffville? And can we imagine a 60-something-year-old man being taken outside the city of Rome, the city responsible for his death and ultimately responsible for the death of Jesus? Could we imagine that one day that would become the capital for many people of Christianity? Could he even imagine the ruins of the Roman Forum, an empty, crumbling tourist attraction? That the Colosseum would now have a cross hung in it because the Colosseum is now dedicated to the martyrs that died during that persecution. He could not have imagined any of this. But it happened. It happened just as Jesus predicted it would happen. There, outside, Caesarea Philippi with twelve men, he said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Hades, hell, death, will not overcome it. My death, your death, the death of martyrs, generations of death, nothing, nothing, nothing is gonna stop the advancement of my gathering, of my congregation. Nothing will stop the advancement of my church because my spirit will fill it. My presence will inhabit it. The church will be the center of the activity of God on this planet till the end of this age. And as you go into all nations and make disciples and invite people to, follow, to become followers of Jesus, I will be with you until I return in the flesh. And as you are considering what to do with your faith and whether or not to put this into your base camp or what to do with that, as you consider many belief systems, you can consider a lot of truth claims. But at some point along the way, you're going to have to wrestle with two things that happened. A group of people came to Jerusalem, and they said that they saw a risen Savior. And then, for generations, that would follow the church, and it would grow and grow and grow and expand and expand and expand. That is exactly what Jesus predicted would happen. And here's the best part of all, perhaps that you as an individual, every single one of you, have been invited to participate in the activity of God by being part, being built into this family, this association, and you can do that through a local church. Because that is what God set up to. That's what he set up to be involved with in the world right now. So through the compassion of the church, through the message of the church, through the interaction with the church community, you can be involved in what God is doing on earth right now. No, clearly, obviously the church has not always gotten it right. The history of the church is littered with all kinds of stories that are horribly embarrassing. But that's the point. All right? In spite of us, in spite of our failures, in spite of our inconsistency, the church is, continues to influence the world and to grow and to grow and to grow. It's not because we're smart. It's not because we have a headquarters somewhere that makes it happen. It's because Jesus said, I will build my church and nothing is going to stop it. And you've been invited to, to be involved in the activity of God on this planet. The question that I want you to wrestle with today, what will you do going forward? What's your next step? you've come this far, please take the next step. Maybe your next step is to keep coming and listening and learning. Continue contemplating who is Jesus. What impact does that have on my life? Can I embrace this? For some of you, your next step is to place your faith in Christ. You've heard enough. Something on the in, inside of you lit up in these discussions or this, these or other places. For some of you, the next step is baptism. Just know that when you're baptized, you're going to stand with hundreds of millions of people since the days of John the Baptist to declare that Jesus is the Son of God, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. For some of you, your next step is to get involved in a smaller community of Christians where you can grow in your faith and learn and stretch your faith muscles together. For some of you, your next step is to commit to serving. And when you step into a service role, when you join a team and accept a volunteer position, you are connecting with hundreds of millions of people throughout the ages, and you will be at the center of God's activity in this world. It's time for you to commit to Jesus, your time, your treasure, and your talent. No more holding back. No more saying, I'm just too busy. For some of you, you need to learn to give, to be generous, and to trust God in this most delicate and seemingly private area of our lives. When you give to a good local church that's in the process of making disciples, it doesn't have to be just this one. Jesus' followers, that's what we're building. You're giving your money to empower the greatest and only eternal investment plan possible. Because Jesus was involved in building his church, and he's still involved even today. Even amongst us with all of our imperfections and with all of our inconsistencies. For some of you, it's even bigger than that. You've been wrestling for a long time, wrestling with how to let God be in your life, and he's calling you to something more than just attendance. And he's calling you to be involved in more of a full-time kind of way, to leave what you're currently doing and to devote the rest of your life and the rest of your career to serving him in some sort of professional, full-time way. And you've been wrestling, wrestling, saying, God, I just don't know, honestly. What could you give your life to that would have greater significance? You will do things that will make you more famous. You can absolutely find a job that will make you more profitable financially. But what can you do of greater significance than to give your time, to give your life to what God is doing through the local church, nationally or internationally? The church is the hope of the world because it's through the church that God is working. The church has the answer to life's three greatest concerns, to sin, sorrow, and death. We've all been invited to participate with God the Father through His Son who inhabits the church to bring the message to every corner of the world. Yes, I want you, we want you to make a personal decision to become a follower of Jesus. But I want you to take a bigger step than that, to engage in God's activity in the local church and to become part of the solution. Because Jesus predicted, just outside of Caesarea Philippi, what Matthew wrote down, and Jesus commissioned his followers that day on that hillside when he he disappeared, that the message that began to flood Jerusalem, the message that the Apostle Paul took around the port cities of the Roman Empire, that same message is our message. It's your message. It's not simply a responsibility. It's an opportunity to partner with your Heavenly Father in the activity that he has set aside for this planet. So whatever your next step is, take that step. That might just be your starting point or restarting point for faith. Every other option that you consider is a truth claim. The church happened because Jesus promised it would. And it is an open invitation to every single individual to every single nation in the world, come and be part of the solution. Kind Father, thank you for this privilege of even talking about this. You know that I've disqualified myself so many times, but because of your grace, I am here. We are here. Now, would you please take this story of your church would you please take the inspiration that we get from hearing this story and, and hearing about these individuals and would you do something in us that, would be able to, uh, that we'd be able to just throw up our hands and say, Wh- whatever is next for me, I'm in. I don't want to waste my life just doing something. I want to engage and I want to be part. I want to be in the crosshairs of God's activity in this community with my neighbors and with my family. Jesus, please give each of us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've just heard. And then give us the courage to do it, we pray. Help us to see as you see, so that we might do as you say. Help me to be bold enough to take that next step. Thanks, Jesus. Amen. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Hey, it's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. And the more we connect, the better it gets. I want to send you out today, and I want to remind you that we are Christ-centered. We are spirit-empowered, and we are mission-focused. And our mission is for everyone, everywhere, all the time.